Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. As Canadians know, the Federal Conservative Party of Canada is in the midst of a leadership race. It's my honor to welcome candidate Roman Baber, who says he will not sit back and watch Canada give away its freedom. Roman, it's great to have you with us today. Good to be with you. Tell me a little bit about why you're running. I think Canada is at a crossroads. I'm very concerned for the erosion of Canada's democracy. We're seeing an unprecedented uh, action by the federal government, whether it's imposing censorship legislation completely needless or um, invoking the Emergencies Act on largely peaceful protesters, seizing bank accounts without a court order, uh, using government assets against um, political opponents, such as we've now seen uh, Defense Department assets used in Ottawa. Um, we still have 15 to 20 percent of Canadians uh, being treated as second-class citizens. I have a unique perspective on democracy. I was born in the former Soviet Union, and uh, I know how precious and fragile our democracy is. I'm not going to sit back watch our democracy being eroded. Yeah, that's true. You left Soviet Union, lived for a little while in Israel, and then in Canada. I lived in the Soviet Union until I was nine, and and that was enough for me to recognize some. Some common hallmarks of authoritarian regimes where there is no dissent and no discussion allowed, or there is fear of your neighbor or of your teacher on, on snitching on you, or uh, fear of the authorities. Um, that, is, that is not something that we have experienced before here uh, as law-abiding citizens. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very concerned. I also think that Canada's opportunity is also being eroded. Um, whether it's uh, lockdowns or mandates or, or universal basic income, our inability to develop our natural resources, we have a lot of work to do. So you see Canada moving into socialism and communism? Sure. I mean, there are some common hallmarks. Um, you know, in, in the Soviet Union, you also could not uh, fly beyond um, communist walls. We didn't get our freedom until 1989. And to know that uh, close to 20% Canadians are unable to board a train or a plane is something that, in my view, should upset not just 3.5 million Canadians, but 35 million Canadians. Uh, same with the mandates, by the way. I think it's inhumane to make someone uh, choose between their ability to put food on the table and their personal health care choice. Uh, but perhaps the greatest uh, similarity that, that I can see is when government engages in remarkable action that is predicated on a false proposition. We knew as early as May 2020 that 80% of the risk is in long-term care homes. It doesn't mean that we should abandon them. We should, on the contrary, we should focus our protection and our resources into long-term care homes. We also understood that the virus is a lot more transmissible than we thought it was. And, and that meant that all the metrics, the, the fatality, the hospitalization rates that we were worried about were actually a lot better than we initially thought. But instead of embracing good news, instead of recognizing bad news and adjusting, uh, sorry, good news and adjusting our public health response, we continued to treat this as if this was March or April 2020 and, and locking down healthy people, locking down businesses, uh, not allowing children into school, imposing a mental health pandemic, yeah, even though we knew uh, that this probably wasn't the best course of action. So it's when government engages in remarkable action that is based on false narrative, that is the most common, uh, I think, thread to, to an authoritarian regime. I'm very afraid. Tell me a little bit about your departure from Doug Ford's uh, caucus. What was that about? So in uh, January uh, 2021, I started receiving a lot of phone calls telling me that the collateral harm of lockdown is simply unsustainable. 
I was getting calls about deaths from overdose. I was getting calls about attempted suicides. And, and of course, I, I knew from constituents that their surgery is being canceled, their cancer screenings are being missed. And I decided that it's time for us to, to start at least having a conversation about the collateral uh, harm of lockdown and potentially factor it into our public health response. Uh, about two hours after my public letter to that effect, uh, Doug Ford uh, expelled me from the Ontario PC caucus. I stand by my decision and unfortunately the evidence uh, and the proposition that I cited turned out to be false. The lockdown was very deadly. When you look at the nation of Canada and the government and all that was going through and going on, censorship has a huge role to play in this, don't you think? Like to not give people the whole truth, but to give them what you want and to even shut down anyone. Uh, and they shut down experts who are better than the people even in the government. Talk to me a little bit about censorship. It's, it's evil. It's definitely evil, and we're seeing uh, all forms of censorship. Um, parliamentary censorship, along with myself, there were four other uh, Ontario Progressive Conservative MPPs that were removed from the Doug Ford Caucus in connection with, um, with COVID. So parliamentary democracy is eroding. We obviously know that uh, regulated professionals, just like you mentioned, were unable to speak. Uh, at least in Ontario, the College of Physicians said if you publicly oppose public health measures like lockdowns, uh, we will censure you, we will potentially penalize you. So how is it that people are not allowed to express a professional opinion? I'm of the view that if doctors and other regulated healthcare professionals were able to speak about this freely, then we would have been out of this mess years ago. We see unprecedented censorship on social media, which is completely unwarranted. We have the right to be wrong, all right? Even if we're wrong, but, but these were supposed to be platforms not content filtration mechanisms. And, and I think that, you know, um, good and fair and, and free discussion is not just important for democracy, it's important for public policy. And most importantly, there is no free speech when there is no free and independent media. And that's another common thread to what was happening in, in authoritarian regimes. How can you have a free and independent media when the government signs the media's paycheck? It's utterly impossible. So we have to end. It's beyond defunding the CBC. It's defunding the CBC, spinning them off. It's ending the bailout and the subsidies. And we need to end this advertising, this unprecedented advertising relationship that government has with media. We need to end this financial dependency of media on government. I'll end with the following on this topic, if I may. Mm -hmm. Our freedom of speech, our expression is the most precious right of them all because through expression and speech, we defend all other rights and all other Canadians. And uh, the, the most important thing we need to do to restore Canada's democracy, and that's what I intend to do, is to restore freedom of speech. It's like, it's like they're so obvious they don't even care. Why do you think they can be so obviously, you know, just being so heavy handed, and it even feels like, uh, well, for a while there, it was like the vast majority are fine with it. And it's almost like in the last number of months, more and more people are waking up and recognizing there's something really wrong here. Why are they being so obvious, I guess, is my question, Roman. The authorities, you mean? Yeah, they're not even trying to hide it. Because they, they have been emboldened by the fact that they were able to communicate a proposition that they're trying to protect people 
and the other side, people like myself that are asking for a little bit of common sense and balance, that we're evil or mean-spirited. You see the approach to us on the street and, and, and on mainstream media. I, I didn't author the letter to Doug Ford to compromise lives. I authored it to save lives. And yet you see this remarkable derisive and divisive approach by the radical left. And that's what they've always done. They've tried to impeach their opponents by creating hate and division, pitting people against one another. That's the playbook. But uh, he is, and by that I mean Justin Trudeau himself, is so arrogant, so foolish and arrogant. Uh, and, and that's part of what I refer to as left-wing naivete, when uh, they're just not smart enough to recognize the world around them. We seem to have like an amazing amount of experts around the world and across Canada that don't agree with the government about the vaccine. Mandating it is one thing, uh, but we're seeing reports that are coming out now of the damage of the vaccines. Would you care to comment on that? With It seems like there's a relationship between the vaccine companies and the government. I, I think two things are important to mention here. Number one, we have to stress that there's absolutely no reason not to have full access to information and full disclosure mm -hmm. and the ability to appreciate uh, side effects and risks. And why is that important? Towards the greater and more important point, and that's choice. I'm not going to tell you whether you should vaccinate or not. Right. I'm, right. Gonna, I'm not going to say good or bad. Everyone made a different choice for whatever reason. Okay, and and we need to respect other people's choice. Yes, and that goes and that goes for those that made the decision not to vaccinate. It's incumbent on them to also try and respect the choice of those that have vaccinated, and of course, those that are vaccinated and and society at large and employers and institutions must respect the choice of those that decided not to vaccinate. It's a medical procedure and we've never had anyone in Canada do anything against their will. And COVID is no reason to start. Such a trite proposition, I can't believe that I even have to communicate it. But, but you know, as we try and, and come out of this mess, I mean, thankfully, a lot of people are coming around. Yesterday, we saw the CEO of WestJet said it makes no sense to continue the passports anymore. And, and we need to free up the, the, the airports from, from the onerous regulations that the feds have imposed. It's too bad that it took them a year to speak out, but I'll take it better late than ever as, as we need to try and, and heal from this. And that means respecting each other's choice. When you look at uh, the issue of travel, uh, people have been saying, as we've been interviewing different people across the country, that like, are we the only country that literally uh, doesn't even allow our citizens to leave? Like 20% of them? Yeah, we are the only country in the world that still maintains vaccine passports. And, um, you know, it's, it, this is important because you can't just, unlike some of my competitors, you, you can't just thump your chest and yell freedom. All right. It, it doesn't work here because there are a lot of people uh, and a lot of sophisticated people and money on the other side of this that, that are suggesting that there's good cause to abridge freedom. So we can articulate a common sense proposition. 
All right, we know that the vaccine was never meant to prevent and does not prevent transmission. And we also now understand that it does not increase protection against infection. Ontario's chief medical officer said, even the manufacturers said, that two shots offer minimal protection against infection. And that means that any suggestion, and that, was, that used to be the suggestion, that your risk of transmission would be lower because your risk of infection is lower. Now that's off the table. No one's putting others at risk. No one is putting anyone else at risk. It's a hateful proposition. It's something that we should clearly oppose. We, we, we need to end this, 20, this disgusting 21st century segregation. Let's talk a little bit about um, federal politics. Like, what, what will you do? What do you propose? You're running uh, for the, the Conservative Party. How, how are you going to bring them together? How are you going to win in this? Three questions there. What do, what do I want to do? How I'm going to unite the Conservatives and how I'm going to win the election? Yep. All right. Let's, let's start with the second one. You can't restore democracy in our country without restoring democracy in the Conservative Party of Canada. Okay, so I'm going to respect diversity of opinion. I will never ever penalize a member of parliament for expressing an opinion. They serve their constituents, not the boss. And, and that means that everyone's welcome. That will immediately give us some healing. Number two. I'm going to apologize to folks that went and voted for another party last time around or didn't vote at all. I'm going to say to them, I'm sorry that the Conservative Party did not have the guts, the courage to stand up for you. That will never happen with my Conservative Party. And, and that means that we will always say what we believe and we will always do what we believe is right. Unlike in the last two elections where no one knew what we stood for on, on some very, very key issues. I will respect social conservatives, all right? In the last couple of elections, we basically, there was a history of, of denying them nominations and, and they're bullied within caucus. And I'm not gonna have that. I don't think that government has a role in how people start and grow their families, but I'm going to welcome them and I'm gonna respect their parliamentary right to introduce legislation and vote their conscience. I will never force anyone to vote against their conscience. And I'll appeal to the West. We've got to bring Western Canada into the conversation. I will turn Canada into the natural resources superpower that we ought to be. I'll end equalization. And um, I'll also look to make sure that we have fairness in the distribution of, of, of votes and seats that it is comparable to the population. So we, there's a lot of work to do, uh, but that's just on uh, unifying the party. Yeah, and you know, just... Going further in what you're saying, Canada is an absolutely wealthy country when it comes to the resources and the things that we have here. And people around the world are shocked that we're not further along in prosperity and Canada's place in the world. Um, so we definitely need to figure out a way to take Canada and move it forward when it comes to the resources, etc. We can strike a balance. I think that Canada's natural resources are a blessing and I'm not going to let oil and gas be canceled. And uh, it's natural resources are, are great, not just for a strategic interest 
or economic bottom line, because that's, by the way, I think the only way we're going to get out of this economic mess long term, but also it's good for the planet because Canadians can produce and derive energy cleaner and safer than any other nation on earth. And so I'll repeal the carbon tax because, you know, making Sally pay 10 bucks at the gas pump uh, or, or paying more for everything she buys will not have impact on the climate. And I'm not going to make us not competitive. I'm going to repeal the anti-pipeline bill. If, if any environmentalists out there should favor pipelines over transporting uh, oil by train, which is considerably less safe for the environment. And, and I, I wanna look at refineries. I wanna look at natural gas. I'm passionate about mining. We have an insatiable appetite around the world for precious minerals and precious metals. And it'd be great for our Northern communities, for our remote communities, for our indigenous communities. I'm very, very determined to turn Canada into the natural resources superpower that we ought to be. You know, when you listen to leaders talk, um, not just in our country, but in other countries, you have one group of leaders who keep talking about globalism and it's good for the world, it's good for the world, it's good for the world, fair, fair, fair. And then others talking more about their nation, nationalism. Talk to me a little bit about that. Where do you stand on that? You know, I, actually there's a third option. Okay. And that is the individual and their loved ones. Okay, so what, what we, what you've described, at least the very first thing you've described, is a radical left-wing collectivist ideology that dreams of some sort of half-baked utopia that failed everywhere around the world. And I'm not, I'm not a fan of that, especially given my background. Because government doesn't know best and Justin Trudeau doesn't know best. There's no such thing. It's naive. And so, the way around that is to go back to what made Western civilization and Western democracies great. And that's to respect individual choice. As long as we're not harming anyone, as long as we're not breaking the law, government should probably stay out of our lives. And so instead of imposing this collectivist ideology, I would just suggest that all that Canadians wanna do is work hard, love their families, and have government leave us alone. Just leave us alone. You know, that's interesting because I hear, something else I hear bandied about in the public arena is this issue of individual freedoms as opposed to the freedoms of the group. And so if it's good for the group to come against your individual freedoms to make you get vaccinated, for example, or to make you wear a mask, that if it's good for the group, you should just do it. But is freedom group freedom or individual freedom? Of course it's individual freedom. And the charter is individual. The law is that it's individual, okay? But of course, it's very, very difficult to engage in this without um, litigating the underlying dispute, which is the proposition on which some of these suggestions were based are false. Like I just described, no one's putting anyone at risk. It's, it's a false and, and, in my view, hateful proposition because we're demonizing an identifiable group of people. We, have, we, we appreciate that some folks react to the virus differently, and, and those are, are the folks in need of protection. Those in congregate settings, those generally 
in their early to mid 80s or older with multiple comorbidities. And, and of course we wanna do well by them. And, and that means affording them with uh, best protection required, namely infection protocol and control. But under no circumstance can we be denying human beings basic access and, and human rights. You know, just, just to name a few things, some of, the, some of the catastrophes of the last couple of years, mm -hmm. denying loved ones from seeing other loved ones in a long-term care home or in a hospital. Wow. Especially at end of life. Yeah. Or forcing a parent that, that looks at the evidence on, on whether efficacy, uh, on, on whether the reduction of the risk for, from COVID of the vaccine uh, is greater, you know, multiplied by the risk of getting COVID is greater than the, the risk of potential side effects and make a parent weigh that exercise and struggle with that exercise, not just on the basis of false information, because we were not distinguishing hospitalizations between with COVID and from COVID. So we don't even know how many young people that allegedly were in the hospital were there with due to COVID, but to force them into a decision potentially where the kid cannot play hockey or cannot go to McDonald's or lead a normal life or they're being bullied at school because the parent made a different decision for them. That's why I'm saying I don't recognize my country. That's why I'm in this leadership. I'm very determined to fight against this and, and you can articulate a sensible proposition. I don't think I've said anything objectionable during this interview. And, and we can appeal to sensible Canadians that, that with, with common sense and, and with calm demeanor, this is the future of our country and, and I invite your viewers to participate in it. Very good. You, you know, have you noticed what's going on in the courts? Have you heard anything? Like a lot of us are wondering, because we know there's a lot of stuff going on in the courts. But we don't hear anything on mainstream media. Have you, what have you heard about some of the court cases uh, in, in regards to the lockdowns and COVID and all the rest? Well, I've litigated for 12 years before I was elected. And I've also been embroiled in COVID-related litigation after I was removed from caucus. I sued the attorney general for our ability to uh, pray and, and protest outdoors because there is no transmission outdoors. So why are there limits on, on my ability to protest? And I wanted to hold a protest in front of the legislature that, that I sat in and was not allowed. The court came back and said that I didn't have standing. I didn't have the right to sue over my right to protest my own legislature. Um, and uh, I appealed and the court of appeal came back and said Roman was right, the judge erred, but uh, the regulation that prohibited Roman from protesting is now gone, so the case is moot, so Roman loses. And, and we have been seeing uh, this type of, uh, we, we, we've been seeing that unfortunate law with the courts, we've been seeing unprecedented intervention into in family law in particular, where, where parents make a different decision or want to make a different decision for their child and they lose custody as a result or or their custody is impeded. And, and a lot of it, regretfully, is political. So courts are now essentially deciding um, custody on the basis of someone's politics. It's unthinkable. That is. And, and so here's what I think has happened. Um, the courts, with, with my greatest respect, I think are off the rails. They were subjected to the very same fear, the same cancel culture that has driven every other institution in the last, um, in, in the last two years. And they felt the requirement to, to interpret everything in, in favor of the collective. 
but they did so without actually weighing public health evidence and, and giving public health and government the benefit of the doubt, something they're not supposed to do. And finally, we had a decision a couple of, uh, couple of months ago, maybe a month ago, a family court decision where the judge literally wrote in the first paragraph, uh, since when is it wrong to question the government and public health? Since when is it wrong to question any of the parties that come before this court? And so I, I have some faith. There's nothing wrong with our charter. There's nothing wrong with our litigation process. We just, we just have this cultural uh, shift, regretfully, to, to the radical left that, that makes everyone fear for their jobs, for their reputation, for their offices, etc. We need to push back lawfully, politely, to, to stand up for our country and for our democracy. Yeah, man, it's, it's been great talking with you. And uh, I stand for, I encourage anyone who stands for freedom and can help us stop this slide into socialism and communism and back to freedom and justice and the whole truth. And uh, so thank you for being with me today and uh, good luck on the future. And I think a lot of us want the best for Canada. And so whatever happens, let's all work together lawfully and get this nation uh, turned back around. Thank you for being with me, Roman. We're not going to turn it around until we vote out Justin Trudeau and Christia Freeland. So I encourage your, your viewers, get involved in the Conservative Party leadership race. Go and join at joinroman.ca. I ask that you rank me first, but even if it's not me, we need to unite right of center and attract other voters, classical liberals, hardworking new Democrats who feel that they were betrayed by Jagmeet Singh, freedom-loving Greens, who, who believe in, in, in choice over, over their own medical health. We need to attract them. We need to beat Justin Trudeau and, and Christia Freeland to restore this freedom that you talk about. I'm grateful to you, sincerely. Very interesting interview, especially that Roman is from Russia and with family there. He's looking at our nation, his nation, and uh, he is going, we cannot slide into this socialistic, communistic uh, type of government. And so I agree with him on this. Everybody needs to get involved to do whatever they can at the provincial level, federal level, schools, you name it. Speak up, get involved, and let's turn this beautiful nation around and move it towards freedom. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.